G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Disturbing reports that during the coronavirus lockdown, victims of domestic violence have been subject to, in one report, increased brutality and severity. Going into lockdown, predictions appear to have been holding true where increased financial stress higher alcohol consumption and closer proximity to perpetrators have created what some are calling a perfect storm for a surge in domestic and family violence. So we're going to talk about the changing landscape for domestic violence today and the challenges for service providers and for churches in responding. Our special guest today is Matt Bolton. He is a domestic violence trainer, advocate and speaker. Matt says of perpetrators, he says, we can only use the best tools we've been given. And until someone shows us new ways of managing our temper and communicating with others, we're probably going to keep doing what we've always done. Well, Matt Bolton is best known as the author of Changing Tools and the Circuit Breaker Program. He specialises in domestic violence cases and working with perpetrators. He produced a documentary for the Joint Church's Domestic Violence uh, uh, Prevention Project called Not In My Church, and it's been used as a training resource for clergy. So, Matt Bolton, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks very much, Neil. Good to be with you. Matt, always love our conversations. And when we're talking domestic violence, and especially when I'm talking with you, Matt, it gets real. Uh, This is significant. In the media, we've been hearing about a spike in domestic violence cases as a result of the COVID-19 lockdown. I'm wondering whether those reports are ringing true for you. What are you hearing about increases in domestic violence? Yes, Neil. Um, I was a little bit sceptical at first when I started to hear the predictions for, uh, you know, the, right, the spike in, in DV. Um, I thought that we might have been dealing with a bit of exaggerating, but, uh, but as I've gone around service providers, uh, they're telling me it's somewhat of, of a, uh, an understatement. Um, from frontline workers, I'm hearing figures as high as a 70% rise in demand for their services. And I noticed on the ABC website yesterday a story about uh, frontline services in hospitals, emergency rooms, that are seeing a 60% spike in uh, injuries from DV cases. So uh, absolutely shocking stats that are coming through at the moment now. Interesting, though, and uh, I believe what you're saying is true. There is a rise in domestic violence. Uh, And there was one report that I read Uh, from New South Wales, uh, from a survey in Western New South Wales that was reflecting on the idea that there had been a uh, a lowering of reports of domestic violence. And uh, because, and I think it's as you're suggesting, you know, you have a gut instinct that 
domestic violence certainly is on the rise. And when there is a statistic that looks like it's abnormal, uh, the idea might be that people are actually fearful of reporting domestic violence. So uh, give us a little bit of insight here in, in, into into how you think you might look at the statistics when, when they're coming through. Uh, I believe you, you're talking to these providers and they're saying things are up. And there's, a, mm. there's this odd statistic that comes through that says the reports are down. Yeah, that's really interesting, Neil, um, and a little bit confusing for, for people, I think, but uh, that is that is what we're hearing, that services, frontline uh, telephone services such as DV Connect and um, 1300 Respect and those kind of numbers, um, they're getting less calls because of the lockdown, because victims are uh, in a situation where they're isolated and they're, they're not able to uh, candidly make a, a telephone call. But the statistics on injuries don't lie. The, uh, in the statistics on call-outs from, from police services, frontline workers, that's where we're getting that hard data from. And also I noticed Google searches for, for domestic violence services, are and they've, they're consistent with those figures, around about a 70% rise there as well. I also read a report about doctors. As doctors receive more detailed training on how to identify uh, domestic violence with injuries they might be dealing with, then numbers actually change, statistics go up. Uh, what are your thoughts there about the fact that we might know more about what to look for and that means numbers go up too? Yeah, I think generally across the board we're getting better at recognising different signs. Um, that is, I think clergy are getting heaps better at it uh, thanks to a lot of training. Um, police definitely uh, and uh, and other frontline first responders like um, ambul- ambulance drivers and emergency rooms, that, that training is always uh, being increased. And so, yeah, it's not a surprise that we're able to connect the dots. And hopefully what's happening is, is that with that training that people are doing something with it and they're going the next step asking that question, is everything OK? Is there something going on? And that's something that we can all do. I've been having a conversation or two of recent times uh, with regard to, you know, some of the uh, different dimensions that happen when you are in lockdown. And uh, one of those I was having just yesterday and talking through the issues around alcohol and the idea that Mm. people who are locked away and they've got their supplies hibernating in some sense uh, and drinking more. Uh, The increase of alcohol consumption, uh, I wonder whether you've got some thoughts on the connection there between alcohol and domestic violence. Yeah, I have, Neil. It's it's complicated because I don't think alcohol causes domestic violence. Um, Stress doesn't cause domestic violence. Uh, uh, Economic stress doesn't cause domestic violence. Um, And I'll qualify that by saying this. I think it triggers situations that are already bad so it's a little bit like the tide when the, when it's low tide down at the the bay you see all of the rocks but the rocks have been there all along but under different conditions they become exposed and i think that's what we're seeing now that that as different people as people are coming under various pressures and some of those are complicated by alcohol then i think those are revealing weaknesses that are already there and i mean all of us know that uh we're not our best when, you know, under the influence of, um, of drugs or alcohol, we're going to make poor choices. If you've already got a propensity, if you've already got a, uh, an attitude or um, uh, control, power and control issues in your life, it's certainly not going to help things to be drinking more.
Matt, I know you're very open with your own story. I wonder whether you can give us an in a nutshell, account of your own connection here and your own interest in helping mm. perpetrators uh, come through what they've been involved in as uh, perpetrators of domestic violence. I wonder if you can just share a little of your own story for a moment. Yeah, well, well, my, my story's interesting in a way that it probably breaks a lot of stereotypes because tw- uh, 27 years ago, I was in a church. I was uh, involved in a parish council. I was... Quite active in in serving my local church, I was a you know born again believer, uh, and still am. Uh, but I had a problem at home, and I had a problem that was escalating. Um, this began with uh, the ways that I was doing conflict, raising my voice and swearing, and that sort of thing. And it really, I felt it really got out of control, got out of my control, and I liked a frog in the kettle. I guess the temperature was rising and. And over time, I got to a place that I thought I could never get crossing the line into physical violence. So um, I think it was extra shameful for me, because being, being part of a church community and, and uh, believing what I believe and knowing what I was doing was wrong um, was extra shameful and hard hard to reach out for help. So um, after a, a 10-month separation and a lot of intervention through a DV group, in the community with Lifeline, um, lots of counselling together and separately, we had a miracle of getting back together, having a second chance. Uh, I learned new tools that have replaced those old ones and I've never been tempted to go back to the, the old ones that were causing damage and I'm, I'm grateful for the life that I now live. But at that time, I guess I realised how difficult it was at that time to get help from churches and so... Whether it was a conscious decision or not, I guess I've I've really given my life to making that story different for other people in churches and in the community that are looking for help. But I hope that when people come to the church community that uh, uh, that they go away, they don't find the cupboard bare as far as the help that they're looking for, but they go away feeling supported to the change that they're looking for. Matt, I'm hoping we get to unpack a few of those new tools as our conversation continues. But let me just come back to churches for a few moments. I mentioned in the introduction that uh, your own uh, productions, a documentary that you produced for a joint church's domestic violence prevention project, uh, Not In My Church, has been widely used now by clergy. And so churches that were not equipped to deal with issues around domestic violence, there's lots more coming on board now, becoming equipped. And uh, as you say, though, it hasn't always been an easy place to go to for help because churches haven't known how to do that. Uh, But that's changing. That is changing, and and a lot of that is thanks to groups like the Joint Churches Domestic Violence Prevention Project. They've been going for more than 30 years now, I think. I I was actively with them for 10 years. I I still continue to speak at their training events and consider it really an important area. Um, They're not lone rangers either. There's other other great groups, but certainly in Queensland and and, uh, around the traps, the Joint Churches Domestic Violence Prevention project, that's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're doing great work with church and uh, with clergy and church communities to, to understand what has been a bit of a complex issue for us, but to to understand what we can do practically to make a difference. 
Okay, when we talk about people who may be afraid to ask for help, and we might be talking here primarily about women who may feel fearful in their own homes, uh, when we talk about this fear, I mean, what's your thought here? And, of course, I want to invite listeners into our conversation as well. But but for people who feel fearful of speaking up, uh, what are your thoughts for, uh, for how people might approach uh, a move towards getting their issues resolved? Yeah, that's a great question, Neil. Um, I think fear is, is very real. Uh, and uh, we have to understand that fear can have a really crippling power. You can actually be become in a place of like a paralysis that you're so afraid to move. It can be like one of those dreams where you can't move. You you want to run but you can't, and and that's a situation for a lot of victims, for women and and for male victims as well. That uh, where do they go to get help? Um, and so I think you know reaching out at all taking baby steps, uh, speaking to a friend and uh, running that situation past somebody that you trust can be a really good place to start. Making an anonymous call, one of the DV services um, such as DV Connect, that, that's a number that doesn't appear on a phone bill, by the way, so it, it can't be traced. That's uh, 1-800-811-811. Uh, but taking, taking some step. Uh, and sometimes I, I think for victims, if I'm working with them, they might be prepared to tolerate a lot. They, they might be used to a cycle and just thinking, oh, look, I'll just get through this and then we'll be back to good times again and then, and that honeymoon phase of the relationship. But I often say to them, what if this was happening to your sister or to your daughter or to your mother or to your best friend? How what, How would you be... Or would you be advising them? Because sometimes, as a as a victim that's experiencing that powerlessness and fear, they may they may not be giving themselves the best advice, if I can put it that way. Powerless and fearful, and I know that there'll be people listening to our conversation today who may have a friend who is in these circumstances and. Uh, really needing wisdom and discernment as to how they might be supportive along the way because uh, going in all guns blazing and uh, and and causing uh, all sorts of rifts may not be the safest way of doing that. So if you're a friend of someone who is in a domestic violence situation, maybe you're a friend of a family, uh, you've got to tread very carefully, haven't you? That's right. Yeah, we have to uh, we have to be very aware that we can make situations a lot worse. Um, have to really behave with a lot of wisdom, and uh, but but ask those questions. Be that person, you can actually save a life just by asking the right question. I also want to just mention a, a fabulous book that I discovered last year uh, by an author, Robin Parry. She was a domestic violence counsellor for many many years, still is uh, in Victoria, and uh, Robin wrote a book called Opening the Door from the Inside. It's one of the best domestic violence resources I've read because it's so it's so practical. Um, it really gives victims some steps to to give them back some power uh, and to be able to uh, to know how to raise things, how to address things uh, in a safe way that that empowers them a little bit more each time and gets them to a point where they can either get change or or find an escape. So amazing book, Pat. 
by Robin Parry. Um, that's R-O-B-I-N, like Robin Hood. Yep. RobinParry.com.au. Um, love that book and I've been recommending it everywhere. Okay, I'll try and mention that too uh, towards the end of our conversation as well. Robin Parry, a domestic violence counsellor in Victoria, wrote the book Opening the Door from the Inside. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We are talking domestic violence. Matt Bolton is our guest, best known as the author of Changing Tools and the Circuit Breaker Program and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We'll take a call or two in just a few moments, Matt, but let me ask you about churches. In this time, when there is a COVID-19 lockdown, uh, the interesting thing here is that all sorts of services are not operating right now. That might be part of the problem. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, the way that there's a gaping hole right now in the prevention space? There's always a hole in the prevention space. There's lots of spending that goes on through governments, but it's, it's generally always response. So, you know, tragically, we're not going to the source of the problem. We really need to get an army at the top of the cliff, so to speak, you know, to uh, rather than another ambulance at the bottom. Uh, we need to keep putting money into response, but we absolutely owe it to these people that, that we are working with the ones doing the violence, many of whom will, stories like myself, people who want to change. Uh, there's, so there has been already gaping holes in that prevention space, but right now I know a service down the road from where I work, uh, they were doing three men's groups a week. They're now doing zero. They've had to close, and I'm not aware of any groups anywhere. There might be some people who know of some groups in Australia, but what I'm hearing is that groups are not able to meet. Um, with our own program, Circuit Breaker, we're, we've, we're taking it online, and we're actually now training other churches and community groups. We've uh, reduced our our uh, online training down it, it's completely free until September because we just really need to raise up an army fast um, of, of people that can respond to the need for that online program. Okay, your Circuit Breaker program online, and uh, ordinarily I'd wait till the end of the conversation to give some addresses here, but how do people actually get involved with your Circuit Breaker program? As you're saying, it's happening via Zoom, so it's it's not restricted by geography at all. Uh, so how can people uh, write down a, a little address here as to how they might be able to connect with you there? Sure, it's easy to get involved. Um, it's the website, Circuit Breaker Course. Net. So people go to circuitbreakercourse.net. They can find out how to get involved as a as a trained facilitator to deliver this in their own uh, church community. But they can also go there to find out about groups. So if, if somebody, it does you don't have to be a domestic violence perpetrator. Um, let's let's hope we're getting to people earlier. If if you're even aware that your temper is causing problems in your relationships. Uh, hop on there and find some groups. There's uh, there's four there at the moment, and we're we're building and hope to have more there by the end of the week. Uh, online groups, and uh, we've got some some safe policies built into that to to try to keep uh, privacy as as guaranteed as we can through that online process. 
Wonderful stuff, and we'll give those addresses through our conversation today. Uh, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. We're talking through issues of domestic violence. Let's take a call or two. Let's hear, first of all, from Kate in Queensland. Hi, Kate. Welcome along. Hi. Good morning, guys. Um, I just had a question um, while still acknowledging that every situation has its unique dynamics. I was just wanting to ask if there's at least a general framework in terms of a tipping point when perpetrators tend to sort of actually sit up and acknowledge that they are um, perpetrating and they do have a problem. I'm just, I know that sometimes when Mm. people leave a relationship or leave the home or there's complaints made to, you know, safety organisations or anything, I just, I've had all that happen in my situation and yet there's still complete denial and everything like that. I just obviously have been praying about that for years and even though I'm not in a relationship anymore, um, my children are and I'm just looking for some, I suppose, what else can I do um, as mm. someone who's been through it and I'm getting help for myself for the ramifications and all the trauma that I've gone through but my children are still having to do go through and it's, it's, it's seriously affecting them and their development in a really negative way. I just obviously I want Kate it's a great question let's get a Mm. response from Matt on that idea of a tipping point and identifying that yeah it is a great question because I think what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, in the same way that a person can discover after a long time that they've been a victim for a long time the same is true of perpetrators Uh, it's so gradual it's that the little changes the the, the very gradual worsening of what what is happening in conflicts uh, can be a real surprise to them to wake up one day and think, what I'm doing is domestic violence. Uh, but sometimes I think the biggest wake-up call is when consequences come home. Um, that One of my favourite verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 19, verse 19. It says, um, a violent man must suffer the consequences for his actions. If you rescue him, you will do so again. And I remember when I was a domestic violence counsellor, just seeing that time after time, the way that uh, that we that we do rescue these people because we love them, and we we rescue by silence. That is by not uh, not telling anyone, not um, you know, not wanting to expose them. Uh, and then the second way we rescue is by compliance. So. For instance, people often say, don't they, um, if someone was doing that to me, I'd be out of there like a rat out of a drain pipe. Well, well, no, you wouldn't, because you get there very gradually. Uh, and we, we take a little bit more nonsense each time uh, and get to a place where we think, how did I get so stuck? Uh, so bringing home some consequences is always, as that Bible verse says, it's always the change. It was the change for me. I made a lot of promises. I was going to get help, going to get counselling. Uh, it's going to be different this time. Not never going to do that again. But it wasn't until I came home to an empty house and a note saying that my wife had left and that you know to have any chance of a future was going to involve a lot of um, not just promises but fruits of change. Um, so so that's really. That's really a difficult thing to do, especially when you're feeling powerless to to find some small ways of bringing consequences back in terms of um, I'm going to involve someone else, I'm going to involve your best friend or I'm going to involve a pastor or 
um, I'm going to seek help, not in ways that are making you like a dobra or a policewoman, but, but ways that are genuinely saying, hey, we're stuck here and we need, we need someone we can trust to help us out of this mess. Uh, but Robin's book, Robin's um, not coming from a Christian space or anything like that, but just a wonderful, powerful, uh, very practical book, which really gives you some step-by-step advice to how to get unstuck. So can't recommend that highly enough. Yep. Kate, is that a helpful response? Yes, it is. Could I just get the name of that book again too, please? Robin's book? I, I know the name of the other one, Changing Soul. Okay, was yeah, Robin Robin Perry's book is uh, Opening the Door from the Inside. It's a quote okay. from, uh, now I've forgotten his name, Aboriginal activist. I'm not but sure. Basically the idea is that some problems, uh, as much as we throw services and, and um, help at them, there's some things that we have to do from the inside in order to open that door and, and become unstuck. Okay, thank you so much to Kate from Queensland, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call, only a couple of minutes out from news. John is in Brisbane. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. John, what are your thoughts? Need to be fairly quick. Uh, I was assaulted by my brother in Mark's kitchen about a month ago. I went to the magistrate's court and the magistrate court dismissed it as a brotherly argument. Also... Four weeks after my assault by my brother, he was sending me abusive text messages, which the uh, magistrate also dismissed in court. So I just wonder what hope is there for people who do suffer from domestic violence, especially from their own brother in the mother's kitchen. Okay, breaking up a little bit there, you were assaulted mm. by your own brother and uh, the magistrate dismissed that. Your thoughts here, Matt? Um. Is, is that a situation, John, where you're living with your brother? No, I was a carer for my mother for five years and I was living in her house and my brother turned up in mum's kitchen one Monday mm. lunchtime. Yeah, I think uh, with any domestic violence issues, I would always advise people to speak to a domestic violence liaison officer. Um, the difference in service that you get from different police often depends how long they've been in the game, um, how much workload they're under, how much, uh, you know, they're, they're educated. So the best bet is always to go to those DV liaison officers. You can ask for them at a station or when you call um, and insist on speaking to them. And, and that way, it, if you've got them in your corner from the start, it's certainly a great help as you navigate magistrates and all that other business. Uh, Matt, before we talk about churches some more and how we might mobilise churches to be effectively filling the gaps uh, where there are issues around not being able to deal with domestic violence, let's take another call. Rod is on the line from Brisbane. Rod, welcome along. Thank you, Neil. Rod, what are your thoughts? Um, just as it seems to be a bit of a stigma, two things, um, with males being the only perpetrators um, in domestic violence. And mm. also, um, I've, obviously, I've been a victim of that myself. I'm no longer... Uh, my wife and I are no longer together, but um, I was constantly bombarded. It's, like, it's hard to show how a person is suffering domestic violence when they're 
there isn't any physical violence. So, you know, mm. I would come home from being out and I'd be questioned and who were you with, who were you talking to, you know, um, my emails and phone were checked regularly, um, finances were withheld from me, you know, I wasn't allowed to see my friends uh, to get permission, you know, those, those type of things that people don't normally would consider domestic violence are actually domestic violence and are hard to um, hard to deal with more than the physical side. Rod, you raise an amazingly important aspect that there are two sides to the equation, that it's not only women who are victims but also men. Uh, in my understanding, the weight is typically more on the women's side for domestic violence, but uh, there is, as you say, because men suffer domestic violence to some sort of a stigma that somehow or other men don't suffer that way. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts for Rod? Thanks for calling, Rod, and um, brave of you to share your story, mate. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say that your story is, is too common, really, that, um, that male victims are not believed. Um, uh, sometimes police have laughed uh, people out of police stations or uh, magistrates don't take it seriously sometimes. Um, I think gradually that's changing, but it's still far too... Common that uh, that men are not believed as a victim, either as as a victim of a man or a victim of a of a female perpetrator. The, the other downside of it, of course, is that um, female perpetrators are not believed. Uh, and it, while you're shaking your head, yes, that's that's what I said. And some of our services, the the uh, phone services that that are well known to us, as a matter of policy, if a woman rings up to say she thinks she's a perpetrator and she wants help they will say, oh, how are you being provoked? What, have you, what is he doing to you? And, um, and they'll uh, spin that narrative around because it doesn't fit the dominant narrative of gendered violence. So I don't expect to be Mr Popular for saying that. It's, an, it's a, not a politically correct view to not um, toe the party line with regard to the, the gendered narrative, um, but men are suffering. And not only that, women are suffering because they don't want to be abusers and we're working with uh, women in our circuit breaker groups and uh, if you go to our website, one of the very first things you'll see is one of our brave facilitators, Katrina, who was a very angry and abusive mother and um, is now one of our best facilitators who's facilitated about five programs and mentors other leaders now in that program. She's free now, but... Uh, often women are not believed and uh, they're certainly not helped. Rod in Brisbane, thank you so much, Rod, for calling in and sharing those uh, deeper thoughts about your own experience. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join our conversation, we'll take some more calls in just a moment. But this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because the magistrate or the police may have difficult believing either side. But in church life, there is certainly going to need to be the sort of sympathy and empathy that is enabling the church to be somehow rather empowered and to be able to help no matter who might come for help when it comes to these issues of domestic and family violence. When we talk about mobilising churches here, Matt, I mean, you know, you've got a, a resource here the church can use. What's the importance here for getting churches mobilised in this whole dimension? I think the churches are part of the learned powerlessness, to be honest, Neil. We've learnt, we've 
learned to just keep quiet um, and we've been a bit intimidated by the so-called experts that are supposed to be riding into town dealing with this problem and uh, so we've, we've sat back and really the church has some superpowers to offer to the sector. We can do some things that nobody else can do. For instance, as, as Christians and churches, we believe in redemption. We believe people can change and I don't see a lot of that out there in the domestic violence space. We can love the sinner but hate the sin. Um, we're used to doing that, separating people from their behaviours and, and giving them tools to be able to change those behaviours without shaming the person. And thirdly, we have the supportive communities that that kind of change requires. We already have them, so people are able to uh, grow at, in a place of support and encouragement. So people shouldn't think that... Um, for their church to play a part in prevention that they need to be a counsellor or they need to be a teacher or anything special. Um, the Circuit Breaker program has been designed for non-experts to deliver uh, tried and tested material. So it's delivered by videos and there's a workbook. There's um, extensive and exhaustive um, facilitator manual to keep them on track and there's a, a whole lot of support through our website and um, uh, everything they need to be set up for success. To deliver a program in their community, it's not an overtly Christian program, but it does have a spiritual perspectives section at the end of each chapter. Um, I like to hope that as people are getting help, they're realising, uh, hey, churches are not just about stained glass windows, they're actually uh, about making my life better. Um, and I, I hope it points people towards that spiritual perspectives section and to, towards the Bible and towards a closer relationship with the churches that are helping them. Um, that's that's what we're seeing uh, around southeast Queensland and Logan and the Gold Coast and um, now even in, into the prisons as, as some chaplains are taking our program in. Um, I think it's good for, good for communities, but it's definitely good for churches to be able to be doing something practical and preventative. Wonderful. And I always do like to draw attention to those unique aspects of Christians exercising their faith. And when you say the church has a superpower, we believe in redemption, that we have a community that can be surrounding a person or a couple or a family that can support them through the issues that they're going through. The church does have mm. superpowers, and and mobilising those superpowers, it's almost a little bit like you know the idea of you know when you're watching a superhero movie and uh, the superhero is only just dis discovering uh, the superpower within. But as you describe that, Matt, just so powerful, and that there are going to be people in churches. As you say, they don't have to be especially trained, but there are going to be particular people with particular personalities and having had their own personal experience that are going to really supercharge their opportunity to be involved in this. So when you talk about having facilitators for your program, I imagine you'd like to see facilitators in every church. That would be fantastic. I think every community needs uh, needs a program like this. If we're to believe the statistics, you know, one in four women are suffering domestic violence. Uh, you know, police are getting a call every two minutes. Uh, there's a massive opportunity for churches here. And if we are waiting just for the experts to arrive, the, you know, the, the, the response, um, already the horse has bolted, but, but we're greatly outnumbered. There's not that many domestic violence experts in Australia to deal with the epidemic that we're facing of, of DV. 
Um, so I, I really think, uh, as I said, um, they don't need to be a counsellor or a teacher. We're, there's certainly training, and um, we have an online training module for facilitators, and uh, that's the place to get involved. You can do that through the Circuit Breaker website. And uh, so there is training, and until September, because of the COVID-19 lockdowns and that, we've decided to waive all costs on that, so that training's completely free until September. People can hop on in their own time and uh, find out what it's about, get skilled up, and I hope get mobilised, and I hope get out there changing communities and turning this thing around. Let me mention that website again, circuitbreakercourse.net, circuitbreakercourse.net. And because that's online, it's useful for anyone listening to our conversation now all over Australia. Let's take another call. Anne is waiting patiently from New South Wales. Hi, Anne. Welcome along. Uh, Anne has uh, Anne's, uh, held, uh, hung up. So anyway, Anne, you might like to call us back at 1-800-316-316. Let me just mention that Facebook uh, poll that we've got going. The question is, have you noticed a rise in domestic and family violence since the lockdown began? Uh, you can respond to that and you can leave your own comments there. And uh, you can make a comment about your own experience and a number of comments of people who've said, well, I haven't really noticed uh, too much. Uh, so, And some saying, I'm believing the reports that I'm hearing. Uh, so 28% say yes, the increase. Uh, 72% are saying no. And of course, uh, you know, not everybody is familiar with, uh, you know, a friend or a family or a neighbour who's going through this sort of challenge right now. So not everyone's going to be able to respond to saying absolutely yes. And of course, uh, the poll just gets us thinking. So far as these superpowers go, the idea of a community that draws around a family or a couple Let's come back to these tools that we often like to talk about, Matt, because when the church has got its superpower and understands that, it's able to be useful because there's a different set of tools that are coming from the men in church to that particular man who might have a challenge in the tools that he's been working with. Take us a little bit into your wonderful, Mm. profound illustration of how you actually make a difference here. I think... When we come to the idea of churches getting around a couple, that's where we have to be really careful because often the response can't come to the couple without causing danger. So sometimes in a situation, um, and, and once again, this not everybody likes this, but I believe it's consistent with what we were talking about from Proverbs before. Sometimes separation is needed. Sometimes it's dangerous. You know, sometimes it's a life or death thing for a couple to be together, and for a time, uh, when at least for a time, sometimes it's a life or death thing that they separate, and that the church continues. I hope to be able to uh, to help both if they're both wanting help. Um, so occasionally, a situation safe enough to work with a couple, but I think churches have just got to be really careful with that. Um, and um, and seek to involve experts where they can, where, where they are out of their depth. Uh, you can't just get into the deep waters when there is a serious 
case of domestic violence, you do need to have a referral process in place so that if you don't have the right skills within your church community, you need to be able to refer up to someone who has those skills to be able to take into uh, these deeper waters. Yeah, absolutely. But we hope that with the Circuit Breaker program that we're trying to get to people before that stage uh, that, um, you know, because many people like myself, they're aware that they are becoming abusive and they're ready for tools if they're, if they're not wrapped in a whole lot of shame. Um, a lot of our community messages around, there, around domestic violence, they tend to walk the line of real men don't hit women and those kinds of unhelpful statements that, that just really cause perpetrators to hide back into their own shame and, um, and, and more alarmingly to isolate their partners so that they're even more powerless now and their communities really shut down. Um, so changing that message and you know being able to find a, a safe place where people who are struggling with their own abuse can actually get help without having to um, swallow a whole lot of shame with it. They can just um, get the, the help and support they need to, to change, to live a better life. And on that whole profound idea that you present about changing tools, you say that we've all got a set of tools that we try to manage our temper, we try to manage the way we communicate with others, and until we're exposed to a new set of tools, we're just going to keep doing what we've always done. But this new set of tools, I suspect, when we talk about another superpower of churches, people who have got wonderful marriage and family relationships that are a part of your local church. They are the people who are going to rub shoulders with you and that's where the new mm. tools will come from. Uh, this this whole idea of changing tools, a powerful one, Matt. Yeah, I, I've always believed that healing doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in community. And that's where we, if we open up and we're honest with each other, that's where we're going to find the tools that we need. For some people, it might sound like a bit of an excuse. Uh, yeah, I that person saying that that's the best they know how to do and, uh, you know, they can't be blamed for their domestic violence. Well, that, that's not what we're saying at all. It's, uh, it's more of a responsibility upon that person to find those tools and to, and to position themselves in a positive community where they can find those tools and, and, uh, and that change and put some strong mentors around them. That's really what we're trying to do. Yep. Let's take another call. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 In fact, we might be able to squeeze a couple more in. Lois is in Queensland. Hi, Lois. Welcome. Yes, hello. Lois, what um, are your thoughts? My, uh, I'm very um, pleased and happy that um, the church um, is uh, getting involved with domestic violence um, because it's been swept under the carpet for many, many years. And many, many years ago, I was actually um, a victim of um, horrific domestic violence and contacted to my, my um, local church at the time only to be um, disbelieved. And uh. different, different scriptures were thrown in my face and, um, and I was only young in my walk then. Um, different scriptures like... Um, Oh, you belong to your husband. He can do whatever he likes. Um, oh, and another scripture was um, turn the other cheek, um, which held me trapped in that um, situation for a long 
long time. Lois, you're sharing something really important that misinterpreted scripture uh, can be used as a weapon. And uh, and that's where you've got to have a good uh, interpretation of Scripture and a uncovering of biblical truth. And sometimes it is used as a weapon against people when there's a little bit of ignorance there. Matt, your thoughts? You must come across this sort of thing often. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story, Lois. Um, uh, one of the reasons I got involved with the Joint Church's Domestic Violence Prevention Project was was just because I saw a lot of uh, spiritual abuse um, and clergy compounding spiritual abuse uh, unwillingly, like they were trying to be a part of helping people, but um, I think that their help, as in Lois's situation, was very, very unhelpful, uh, reinforcing some of those um, really, uh, you know, sexist ideas and, um, uh, yeah, theology around suffering and, you know, this is your cross to bear and, uh, you know, we've all got to carry our cross and uh, we've got to forgive and forget. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. There there are a lot of really good tools if we take an intelligent look and we really are trained to, to understand this dynamic, that the Bible actually does have a lot to say about domestic abuse and it does have a lot to say about how we can... Uh, manage these things, um, and uh, when when separation can be important, I think. Okay, thank uh, you, Lois. Uh, appreciate your call. Time is running short, so let's just take one more call. Carol is in Queensland. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Thank you. Um, right, I guess mine's along the lines of Lois. Um, I right, I have attended church pretty much most of my life. Um, I am a Christian and I found that, um, right, that there were men in the church who, right, who perpetrate this. Um, and, right, the, um, I think Mr. Bolton said that, you know, the, the reason he got involved was because clergy were, um, you know, misrepresenting scriptures and so on. Um, but how does the church deal with it now? Good thoughts, Carol. Matt, your thoughts on how mm. churches deal with these things? Yeah, I, I suppose when we say the church, it's a blanket term, isn't it? And uh, some churches are doing well with it and some are doing very poorly. I know that in my in the, the denomination that I'm a part of and, and a number of others that they've now developed policies um, and they, uh, they're a lot more training is coming down the line in different denominations, and then you've got other groups that are uh, uh, ecumenical groups like the joint churches that are that are doing things outside of the movements and with the movements. So, so yeah, I think change is coming, and change has definitely come to a lot of churches. I think we're in a much much better place than we were 20 years ago when I started getting involved. Carol, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your experience. Uh, time has run out and I know that uh, lots of listeners may well have been scrambling for a pen to write down the name of the course or the contact point uh, for Matt Bolton and the idea of mobilising the church in this area of domestic violence. 
recognizing that, as Matt Bolton says, the church has some superpowers here, and perhaps we need to to discover those, to uncover those, and to develop our superpowers so that we can more effectively deal with these challenges. The website we mentioned was circuitbreakercourse.net circuitbreakercourse.net and wherever you're listening right around Australia you could participate in that 10-week group-based program as Matt Bolton said it's free until September the opportunity right now if you're in the middle of this or if you have a contact who is going through some struggles right now and perhaps as a victim or as a perpetrator of domestic violence, the opportunity to participate, circuitbreakercourse.net. I also want to mention, Matt, just before we end our conversation, people looking for help. You mentioned DV Connect, 1-800-811-811. There are lots of different organisations that can take calls in an emergency, of course, dial triple O. There are other organisations like Lifeline, 131114, Beyond Blue, 1300 224 636. And of course, Vision Prayer. If you just want someone to pray into a situation, Vision Prayer is also open, 1800 772 There's lots of numbers, Matt, and uh, baffling to think there are so many. Which one of those do you uh, actually recommend people call if they're, if they're in the, the middle of a crisis? Uh, like you said, Neil, it depends on the severity. So um, definitely triple uh, zero for an emergency or for an, something currently playing out. Um, I, I think where couples are heading towards domestic violence and and, um, and still it's a safe situation to be able to work together, then I, I like Relationships Australia and Lifeline and some of those major companies that are very well trained in this area. Um, and then, of course, uh, other times I think sometimes straight to the police is good. Those domestic violence liaison officers uh, are great help and... And then you've got those other wraparound services like DV Connect and 1300 Respect and those ones which can uh, can help you access uh, a bit of a roadmap. Good to know there is help available. Uh, wonderful getting your insights as always, Matt Bolton. Circuitbreakercourse.net. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.